Uh, turn to Psalm 105 in your Bible, and keep your finger there and go back to Psalm 77 as well. And just kind of keep your fingers in both for a second. In the first few verses of a psalm, whichever one you choose to read, you can kind of tell what the overall flavor is going to be. And they're almost, at least from the first few verses in Psalm 105 and Psalm 77, they're almost polar opposites, I feel like, when I read the beginning. Um, But I think they're so similar that we should just consider them together for a few minutes. Um, But there's something really important that Psalm 105, which is part of the daily Bible reading for today, if you're following along and reading through the Bible with us in a year. Um, today, you would read Psalm 105, and I want to highlight that um, because there's something I think that's so important uh, for us to think about and to consider, a skill that you and I as Christians and uh, followers of the Lord should be developing throughout our life, and especially in light of the banner year of 2020 and all the great things that are happening all the time in this year. Um, There's something that the Lord has for us that can speak to our situation today, I think. Um, So I want to look at that. In Psalm 105, starting off, uh, the first four verses is a string of commands. It is a list of things that you and I, as God's people, are supposed to do. It says, give thanks to the Lord, number one. Call upon his name, number two. Make known his deeds among the peoples, number three. Sing to him, sing psalms to him, number four. Talk of all his wondrous works, number five. Glory in his holy name, number six. And number seven is let the hearts of those who rejoice seek the Lord. Seek the Lord in his strength. Seek his face forevermore. There's lots of exclamation points in the first four verses. So there's lots of commands. There's lots of excitement. There's lots of good things to go and do. And when I read that, I know that I should be doing those things. And I know that I should be dedicating my life to practicing those things. And you probably know that as well, that every day I'm supposed to be working on giving thanks and calling upon his name and and letting people know about his deeds and singing to him and talking about his works and glorying in his names. But if you have your uh, finger over in Psalm 77, a lot of times the first few verses of Psalm 77 seem to get in the way of doing those things well. In verse 4 of Psalm 77, it says, You hold my eyelids open. I'm so troubled that I cannot speak. Do you ever feel like you're so troubled and so anxious and so uncertain of what's going on in this world or, or whatever situation you're in that you can't speak, you can't talk about it, you can't even voice it, you can't even sleep, your eyelids are open all the time. I've considered the days of old, the years of ancient times. I call to remembrance my song in the night. I meditate within my heart. My spirit makes diligent search. This is someone who is constantly trying to reassure themselves that things are going to be okay, that the dark days are going to be over, that there's hope at the end, that there's light at the end of the tunnel. And then he asks those questions uh, in Psalm 77 in verse 7. And these are questions I think we ask all the time, isn't it? Where is God when things aren't going right, when things are uncomfortable, when when it seems like things are too hard? Is he there? Is he working? Does he care? Has he forgotten me? 
And then in verse thir- uh, six, uh, 10, sorry, <laughs> I said, this is my anguish. You ever feel anguished? When I'm thinking about back in Psalm 105, all those seven commands that I'm supposed to do, I start to think of sometimes that, you know what, the anguish of this life, the brokenness and the curse of sin that I have to battle with every day gets in the way of me being able to give thanks, of me being able to call upon his name, of me being able to make known his deeds and sing to him and talk of his works and glory in his name and seek him the way that I should. Maybe you can relate to that. And, and we say it a lot recently, but everything going on right now in our day, in our time, seems to add to that difficulty of being able to do those things well. Conversations I have with people or I have heard from people within the last six months tend to gravitate towards this idea that, man, things are just so bad. And they're just getting, they seem to be just getting worse. <laughs> it's really terrible. It's just, and then when I think about those and I, and, I, and I take time to process all that stuff, then I think to myself, yeah, it really does seem like it's just terrible out there. And honestly, it's pretty bad. But in Psalm 105, in verse 5, there's one more command. And I think it's the foundational command that if we develop this skill, if we develop verse 5 in our own lives as followers of God, that we are able to say, in Psalm, like he does in Psalm 77, but I will remember the Lord. You see in Psalm 77, there's a change when you get down to, to that part of the verse, right, to, to verse 11. There's a change. It starts out pretty grim, and then it, it changes into something pretty great. And in Psalm 105, we have the same thing. It's like a companion psalm. We have the same thing. In, in verse 5 of Psalm 105, it says, Remember his marvelous works which he has done, his wonders, and the judgments of his mouth. The command, and I think it's the foundational command, is to have, as Christians, a long-term memory for God. It is, a, it is our job to develop our long-term memory for the works of the Lord. We're going to talk in a minute what this word remember means uh, in the Bible. Because <laughs> it means something a little different in our culture, in how we say it, usually. Usually when we say, I remember, we simply recall information. And that's definitely part of it. But there's two sides to every coin. And the coin here is to not just recall information, but act upon information. And not just recall any information, but recall to your mind what the Lord has done. And the, psalm calls it, the psalmist calls it his marvelous works, his wonders, and the judgments of his mouth. That's his commands and authority. It's to recall those to your mind and to act upon them to live in them, to share them with others. And if we are able to take verse 5, and if we are able to develop our long-term memory and to remember his marvelous works, then I think no matter what the situation we find ourselves, no matter how much anguish we're in, we're going to be able to give thanks to the Lord, to call upon his name, to make known his deeds among the peoples, to sing to him, to talk of his wondrous works, to glory in his name, and to seek him. We're going to be able to do those things well. We're going to be able to do those things consistently. And in a day and age and in a time or situations where things are dark and it looks like God isn't doing anything, people need hope. 
And if you and I can be those mirrors of the hope and the wondrous works of the Lord, then we can fulfill the goal, the job that God has for his people. And that is to show the love of the Lord to all those who are in need. It says, remember his marvelous works, which he has done. In verse 6, it's interesting what he says. He says, remember his marvelous works, O seed of Abraham, his servant, your children of, ja- your children of Jacob, his chosen ones. He's using past, he's using, uh, how do I want to say it? Memory language, memory terms. He is addressing a people who oftentimes could forget what it meant to be the seed of Abraham who would oftentimes forget what it meant to be the children of Jacob and could oftentimes forget what it meant to be chosen by God. That's how our present circumstances um, can cut us off from the Lord. We get so overwhelmed with what's going on and, and everything that's around us and what we can see and all the hardships that are coming that we forget the wondrous works of the Lord. We forget what it means to be a seed of Abraham, the children of Jacob, and the chosen ones. If you're an Israelite, you know what it's like to be on the bottom a lot. (laughs) That nation was pretty small. And oftentimes there were bigger and badder kingdoms all around who uh, loved nothing more than to cause pain and turmoil and anguish to the Israelites. And in the midst of another raid, in the midst of another being taken captive, in the midst of more slaughter and and, and murder, and, and, and in the midst of the hard life that they led... God wants to remind them that they're the seed of Abraham, and that means something. That means something. They're the children of Jacob, and that means something to God. They're his chosen ones. So we get this um, kind of this middle section here in verses 7 through 12. We're going to look at it in a second, but it leads up to the rest of the psalm, which is 13 through 45. And 13 through 45 is basically a history lesson, and it's putting into practice the long-term memory, the skill that the psalmist wants us to, uh, to develop. But before he does that, he wants to give us the ultimate example of what it looks like to truly remember the marvelous works of God, to what it means to recall that information and to act on it. And the greatest example he can give us is the example of God himself. So look at verse 7. He is the Lord our God. His judgments are in all the earth. He starts out by making a factual statement, something that he's not cannot be disputed. He's not looking for an answer. He's not looking for anybody to question that. He is simply stating fact that God is his Lord and his judgments are in all the earth. And what that means is his authority is in all the earth. He has authority over all of the earth. So there's not one inch of this world that isn't under the authority of God. And then he says this in verse 8, which is um, a companion verse to verse 5. Remember, we were called in verse 5 to remember his marvelous works. Look what God does in verse 8. God remembers his covenant forever, the word which he commanded for a thousand generations. I, I don't know how good your memory is. If you can remember what happened 10 years ago, if you can remember things you said, promises you made 20 years ago, if you can make, remember things you said and promises you made 20 minutes ago, we, have, we all struggle with memory in different ways, but the Lord never forgets, never forgets 
forever and for a thousand generations. Hebrew poetry here. He remembers his covenant forever. He remembers the words which he commanded for a thousand generations so that you can be sure God never forgets a single thing he's ever said. And the highlight of what he said here is his promise, his covenant in verse 9, the covenant which he made with Abraham and his oath to Isaac, and he confirmed it to Jacob for a statute, to Israel as an everlasting covenant. God took a man, Abraham, and a family, Abraham's family, nothing special about him. He didn't look down the quarters of time and see that Abraham was going to be a faithful servant one day. Abraham was a pagan, didn't care about the one true God, was just living his life, doing his own thing. And God stepped in and said, Abraham, I choose you to be my servant, to be my family, to be my special people. And then he made a covenant and a promise with Abraham. He said, Abraham, I promise to give you a land. I promise to give you more kids than are in the stars. I promise to make you a great nation. And I promise to bless the entire world through your family. And what I need from you is your love, is your servant's heart, is your willingness to follow me. God made that promise back in Genesis 12. Uh, and he has never forgot it up till Psalm 105, and I can promise you he's never forgot it up till 2020 and beyond. God never forgets his promise. And the covenant he made from Abraham was that he took a person, a family, who was nothing, and he made them into his chosen special people. And then he talks about his oath to Isaac, which is just a reconfirmation of that promise to Abraham. And he talks about talking to Jacob, which is just a reconfirmation of that program. But you see, God remembers his promises. And he doesn't just recall that information. He doesn't just, it doesn't just, some period of time doesn't happen. And then he takes a look down and sees Israel doing something. And he's like, oh, yeah, didn't I promise something to them? Oh, remember when Abraham was here and I told him what I would do for him? He remembers what he said, and then he always acts on it. And the rest of the psalm, verses 13 through 45, like I said, it's a history lesson. And it is the psalmist showing through a major portion of ancient Israelite history and some of the biggest events in their lives, showing how God remembered his marvelous works and he saved, continually saved and redeemed his people from all the trouble they kept getting themselves into. Because if God has made a promise to you, you can be sure he will keep it, and he'll keep it actively. (laughs) He's not just going to wait one day to finally go ahead and keep that promise, but he continually keeps the promise until finally it culminates one day in the return of Christ and him living with his people. I just want to highlight a few of the things through the rest of of that chapter, just so you can see exactly how God works. In verse 13, it says, this is, so he's called Abraham, and Abraham's family was called to go, and God was going to guide him, and he was going to give him a land, and he just, Abraham just needed to follow. And when they went from one nation to another, Abraham and his family, from one kingdom to another people, the he here is God. God permitted no one to do them wrong. Yes, he even rebuked kings for their sakes, saying, don't touch my anointed ones and do my prophets no harm. Abraham was just a family, a a big family, real big family. (laughs) He's big, there's lots of people, but they're just a family. They're no nation. They have no military might that could overcome another kingdom. 
and they continually come in contact with people who are kings and warlords and all these type of people, people who have power and have status and have land and have swords and have everything they need, and they keep coming in contact with them, and time after time, God keeps Abraham and his family safe. And Abraham sure does a lot to try to mess that up, but God remembers his promise to Abraham. I will keep you. You are my chosen one, and I have a plan for you. And so continually God keeps Abraham safe and even goes to kings and tells kings, don't touch these people. He did that for uh, Abraham in Egypt twice. Uh, then he moves on in history a little bit, and it's kind of, this is kind of like a, the cliff notes of, <laughs> of the book of uh, like Genesis and Exodus here. Um, but he moves ahead really quick, and he moves ahead to Jacob, who became Israel, and that's when the children of Israel got their name changed, right? And he moves ahead to them and to the story of Joseph. And this is interesting in verse 16. Moreover, God, that's the he there, called for a famine in the land. He destroyed all the provision of bread. So it's interesting to note this, and he says something similar to this a few different times. But not only does God keep his people safe in all situations as part of remembering his promise to fulfill his promise, but he also brings hardships into his people's lives as part of fulfilling his promise. Abraham wasn't promised an easy life, and he wasn't promised... um, It was going to be a piece of cake to get where he had to go and get to his final destination. But God promised to give him um, a great gift, give him land, give him kids, give him a gift that would bless the entire world. He promised to give him those things. He promised to give him these good things. But he never promised that it would be easy to get there. And I think that is because God wants us to, verse 5, remember his wondrous works. When everything's going great, our memories are real short. It's when everything gets difficult that we are forced to think back to what God has done before for comfort for the present and the future. And God knows that's how we are, so God brings these things into our lives. And he brought it into the lives of his people. He brought this terrible famine into the land, and the only possible way for Israel to be saved was if they went to Egypt and asked for help. And they went to Egypt and they asked for help, And they didn't expect too many things. But wouldn't you know it, God had set up an Israelite to be the ruler, second in command, but basically the ruler of Egypt. And he had done that years before so that when the time was right and Israel needed salvation, God had taken care of them. And that's what you find in verses 16 through 22, all about Joseph. And then you like, the psalmist takes the microscope and clicks it and you see a little more, right? And then he talks about how Joseph is a shining example of God remembering his promise because Joseph went through his own terrible anguish and ordeal throughout his life. And every moment when things seem to start to get better, they just get worse. And through the whole thing, Joseph comes out saying, I will trust in God because he keeps being able to point back to places in his lives, in his life, where he can remember God's wondrous works and how God had taken care of him. Even though he experienced a lot of anguish, that day when he stood in front of his family and said, God brought you here, God brought me here through what I went through so that you could come here and be saved. And we know that God did this because he remembered his promise to us.
And then things are great for a while in Israel's history, and they start to have uh, just tons of kids, and they become this massive, massive nation of people, something that God said Abraham would, would, uh, would have, right? And they start to become this massive nation, but then hardship comes again, and the Israelites enslave, or the, the Egyptians enslave the Israelites because they're afraid of them. In verse 25, it says, he, that's God, turned their heart, that's the heart of the Egyptians and the people around Israel, to hate his people, to deal craftily with his servants. Remember, God brings good, and that's his ultimate goal, is to bring good into our lives. But God also brings hardship into our lives. He brings tests, he brings trials, he brings things that are going to cause us to develop our long-term memory. So then Israelites enslaved and, and for years, and it's terrible, and they finally cry out to God. And what does God do? He sends Moses. And he sends Aaron, and they perform signs and wonders among them, and then it lists all the things that, all the signs that it took for Pharaoh to finally let his people, let God's people go. And they did that. And they have, I mean, you know the stories, the Red Sea, the locusts, the firstborn, all that stuff, you know that. You can point back to Israel's history and say, look at what God has done, all the wondrous works. But when you're an Israelite in this day and age, back in the Bible, you might be tempted to forget those things because of the hardship of your life, because of what's going on, of all the ways in which you're trying to, the, the enemy is trying to rob you of your relationship with the Lord. You might forget these things. So the psalmist points them out. and He says, don't ever forget. Uh, and then he talks about the time where Israel wandered in the wilderness. So they, they come out of Egypt. In fact, uh, it points it out here even in verse 37, I love this. He also brought them out with silver and gold, and there were none feeble among his tribes, meaning, and this is so interesting, and it's only a God thing, that the slave owners, the Egyptians who owned the slaves, paid their slaves to leave. If that's not God working, what on earth could that be? What slave owner would pay all those people to get out? (laughs) Only God could have done that. And they were so rich that there were none feeble among his tribes. That's how much God cared for his people. So then he talks about wandering through the wilderness. And I just want to read this part because it's so good. They departed from Egypt, and then in verse 39 says, He, that's God, spread a cloud for a covering and fire to give light in the night. So God was with his people in that he shaded them from the sun in the day so they didn't have to be too hot. And he gave them fire. He was this pillar of fire at night so that they could see where they were going. If you were there that day, you could never look back and say, you could never look into anybody's face and say, God doesn't remember his promise to us because God is acting on his promise to us right now. The people asked and he brought quail. So the people were wandering, they were hungry. And so God provided them food daily, provided them food and satisfied them with the bread of heaven. And they were thirsty out there in the wilderness. And so he opened up a rock and let water come out of it. God did all these miracles to keep his people for their everyday lives, to keep his promise that he had made to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And then it ends here in verse 42. And it sums it all up. And it's, it, it's why the psalm was written. It's what you're supposed to take away from it. It's why we should develop our long-term memories for the works of the Lord. It's why we should always start with remembering what he's done for us. This is why. In verse 42, it says, For he, that's God, remembered his holy promise 
and Abraham his servant. So remember, God's the example of what we should do. The way the Lord remembers is the way we should remember. He remembered his holy promise for Abraham his servant. So he recalled the information, and he acted on the information. He remembered it, and he brought out his people with joy, his chosen one with gladness. He gave them the lands of the Gentiles, and they inherited the labor of the nations. You know the children of Israel did reach the promised land eventually. They got in the way a lot of the time, but they got there. And so God has fully... Uh, God, God has, has fully met the promise that he made to Abraham in so many ways. Abraham became a father of many nations. Abraham had a land. And Abraham has, through his family and through his people and through the chosen ones of God, has blessed the world through Jesus Christ. But God's not done. The promise to Abraham has been realized, but he's made other promises too. And these are still yet to be realized. Jesus has promised to come back. And God has promised to come and dwell with his people finally. And he's promised to get rid of sin and the curse and brokenness and evil and pandemics and all of that sort of thing. He's promised to get rid of that, and that's still to come. And so if you ever doubt that, that that will happen, don't forget what God has done for you in the past and the promises he has kept. In verse 45, it's kind of the crux of the whole thing. We remember these things so that we, you can, just, you, can put your, you can put yourself in there if you're a child of God, so that we might observe his statutes and keep his laws. Remember those seven things God said, or uh, the psalmist said in the, in the beginning of Psalm 105? Give thanks, call upon his name, make known his deeds, sing to him, seek him, talk of him, glory in him. That's summed up in observing his statutes and keeping his laws. And the way we can do that constantly the way we can do that well and the way we can do that when our present seems to drown out anything about God is to remember his past wondrous works. And I don't just mean remember what he did for the Israelites in the Red Sea. You should. And I don't just mean remembering what he did for Noah and remembering what he did for Paul and Peter. Remember what he did for you. First and foremost through Jesus Christ dying on the cross for you taking away your sin, giving you access to the kingdom of God and the power of the Holy Spirit. And remember what he did for you yesterday. And remember what he might have done for you five minutes ago. And look back in your life and recall specifically those times when you know, beyond a shadow of a doubt, that God acted. If you can't think of them, start developing that uh, long-term memory now because it is so important this spoke to Israelites because Israelites could understand and connect, and some of them may have even lived through some of this. Or they had family members who lived through some of this. So this was super relevant to them, personally relevant to them. And God is still working. God still keeps his promises, and he still works in your life. So look back to what is relevant, and you can connect with, with what he's done in your life. And it ends with this command, this, I guess one last command, the ninth one simply says, praise the Lord for what he's done, for his memory. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for this day, and, and I thank you for your memory, that it never fades, that it's always perfect, that you've never forgotten one single word you've said, not forgotten one single promise you've made, and not forgotten one single plan you've put in motion. Father, I pray that we would take 
assurance and hope no matter what we face each day in the fact that you have never broken a promise. You have never failed. You've never come up short. Father, for those promises that are yet to be fulfilled, we can be absolutely sure that they will because we've seen your track record. And I thank you, Lord, that, that you are perfect and good and that you love us. So, Father, whatever we are going through right now, whatever our present troubles may be, help us to develop that long-term memory. Help us to remember what you've done for us personally in our own lives and as a nation and as a church and as a people and as the chosen ones of God. Thank you that you love us. We ask all these things in your name. Amen.